page 29 in our booklet, uh, we're, 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 we're wrapping up uh, this, this section of the booklet, or I mean, sorry, well, booklet too, I guess, but this section of scripture, which is focusing in on a very, very important topic. I know we've said this over and over again, but I want to make sure we're getting this, all right, that the idea is that something that's being created here is new. It's the Jew and Gentile have become one in Christ. And the way he's going to close this, and we'll probably get into this more next week than this week, the way he's going to close this chapter is focusing in on the idea that, okay, now that we, the Jew and the Gentile, are one in Christ, take note, we are his temple. We are the temple of Christ. We are the tabernacle. So on page 29, you're filling the blank there, is what this has provided us as Gentiles. Obviously, the Jew already had this. Now we have access to this, is we have access to the Father, to the Father. For through him, we both, who's the both? Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit. Because by the way, there is only one Holy Spirit. Okay, he works in different functions, but there's only one Holy Spirit, just like there's only one Father, just like there's only one Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we have access to the Father who in inherits you and gives you riches and inheritances through Jesus Christ, who did the work for you, dying in your place, and by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you giving you that access, opening the door for you as he moves in, fulfilling what he purposed to do before the world began in you. That is what was predestined before the world began. You were not predestined before the world began. What was predestined before the world began is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit would all do these actions that we've been reading in chapter one and chapter two. Now, if you're sitting there going, wow, that's a pretty big statement. It is. It crashes Calvinism. So this is why it's important. Hey, I know I'm hammering on some things. I know I'm overtly hammering on some things, but I want you all to understand this is some of the biggest problems in the church house today. Calvinism, we better make sure we understand what it is, and we better make sure we understand what the uh, uh, repercussions of it is if it's wrong. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that stuff. I don't think a lot of people are putting enough weight on it. I I'm just telling you, especially in the Baptist house uh, this morning, many, many churches have fallen under Calvinistic thinking. Many. And there is major problems with it. There just is. And at the end of the day, the Bible says, I hate every false way. So if it's a false way, we need to make sure we hate it. Don't hate the person. We hate the doctrine. We never hate the person. Do you understand? So when we're calling out or we're saying things about other churches, whatever, we don't hate the people of the church. We're, we, what we're calling out is the doctrines of those churches that are, uh, if, they're, if they're proven to be incorrect, and of course it can't be my opinion, 
It has to be, does the Bible prove that that doctrine is incorrect? Well, I hate every false way. I hate every false doctrine. Uh, we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Uh, I could go on and on and how, all, I mean, we went to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Gosh, look how many times Paul exhorts Timothy and Titus. Don't teach anything but sound doctrine. <laughs> They're going to be going off on itching ears, man. They're going to be following false fables and false... He's warning the leaders. Uh, remember, Timothy and Titus are the pastors at Ephesus and Crete. He, uh, Ephesus, right? We're, we're reading Ephesians right now. He, he's warning them of these false doctrines that have permeated the body that is leading people astray. Uh, if he's doing it then, I'm just wondering how bad it's gotten now, 2,000 years later. This stuff is important. And whether you realize just how important it is, Please, please, if I'm going to sit here at this pulpit and I'm going to hammer this stuff as hard as I do, I hope that you'd at least give me enough to say, well, if he's hammering it that hard, this must be important, even if I don't quite understand why it's all that important. I promise you, it is. And it is causing some major issues within the body. Y'all remember uh, one of our most important verses that we kind of lean on is found in 1 Corinthians 1.10, right? Now I beseech you, Paul says, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be, how many divisions? No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. I don't know what that leaves room for if you just let that verse speak for itself. Something is incorrect. If something, it, it, we are clearly not a Calvinistic church. Are we in the same judgment with churches that do teach that? Do we have the same mind? No. Replacement theology, I know we talk about that a lot. Is that something that we, we adhere to? Do we believe we're Jews? Well, then churches that are teaching it, we're not in the same judgment with them. We're not in the same mind with them. You know, we got this big idea in the church today, and I just saw it this week, man. There's a major push for unification in the church today. And what they do, do note that is something the Antichrist is going to do. We're, we're setting the table for what's about to come, okay? And what they do is they call out John 17, and they'll say, as Christ was as one with the Father, that's what he's calling us to be with him. Wait a minute now. Was Christ in unity with the Father in the same judgment or not? What do you all think? I, what, do you think they were perfectly joined together? So here we are. We're, we're using this call and cry for unification in the church, using John 17 as our basis for that call, and yet you're preaching John 17 incorrectly. Crazy. Crazy what is going on today and it's not good, man. It's not good. All right? So this stuff is important. Number one, Ephesians 2.18, both have access. To what? What is it that we have access to? The channel of blessing. 
the channel of inheritance and position that is provided in the household of God. That is what we have access to. If you remember going back in the beginning of the chapter, he was talking about how what we were in times past, as we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which of course is Satan, uh, how we were children of obedience, how our conversation uh, was in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, how we were children of wrath. We did not in that position have access to the Father. We did not have access to the household of God. Therefore, we were not children of God. Sorry, incorrect. Therefore, we were not made in the image of God. If we were made in the image of God, we are fallen. Is God fallen? No, we weren't those things. Paul is emphatically letting us know that we weren't those things. Okay, but in his, verse 4, in his mercy and his great love, as he died on the cross for us, he gave us access to that. And everybody, that is one of the most encouraging things you're ever going to hear. You didn't have access to any of that. You didn't deserve any of that. There's nothing you could do to gain any of that. Yet, as Robert so eloquently preached on Thursday night, in all the universe... As large as this universe is, these little specks that are on this planet, he loved you that much Amen. that he died for you. Amen. Wow. And he gave us access to things we could never even have dreamed of. And can I just say this? Let's be careful to make sure we understand what he gave us access to, because if we don't, what we will have a habit of doing is, number one, falling back on the things that we think we deserve. Number two, we'll fall back on what we know or what, how we, what we think is blessings when they really aren't. And number three is we will forget just how big he really is and how good he really is to us. Those are things. Listen, when you... Matter of fact, if you read those 12 uh, chapters, 12 through 24, he spends a lot more time uh, talking about the things that Abraham did wrong than he does on what he did right. We've got to understand why that's so. Number one is because we are so, our flesh, man, it has us, and God needs to let us understand if you walk in the flesh, you are going to fulfill the desires of it. Every single time, I don't care who you are, I don't care how much you think you know Christ, if you allow your flesh to dwell up, it will win. Not some of the time, every time, every time. And God has to continuously turn the volume up on that because we are so prone to that. But do remember... There is the benefits, and the benefits are great if you don't. If you do walk in the Spirit, if you do allow Christ to live in you, if you do allow Christ to come out of you, the benefits are, I don't even know that we could put a, a measuring tape on it. 
They're, they're, they're beyond anything you'll ever believe or understand. And I'm not just talking about in the here or now. I'm talking about in eternity with Him. We have become the household of God. We had not that access. We have been become the participants of blessings, nine of them, <laughs> to, to, to start with, that we did not have access to. We have become a, 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 a people that has gained an inheritance that's beyond anything we could ever imagine. We have become a, a, a people that a position has been given to us that we could not have earned on our own. But I do want to make sure it's clear. Those blessings, the inheritance, the position that was given to us, don't be so quick to squander it. And way too many are. We are. And you will squander it as quick as you possibly can if you allow your opinion to trunk God's. You may as well just call bets off right there. Once your opinion trumps the word of God, you have lost your ability to gain what God wants to give you. How many times in the scripture does he talk about being humble, being dead to self, not allowing your, put on the mind of Christ. These are the things that we need to make sure that we do. We need to understand that this blessing, these inheritance that came through him, Verse 13, that, but now in Christ, right? That uh, was the major uh, theme of chapter number one, right? In Christ, through him, uh, we have to understand the differences between Israel's covenants and the body of Christ. We both, who, Israel and the Gentile, have, have access to what? We have access to Israel? first of all, that wouldn't even make any sense. Because if you look at the Old Testament, that's exactly what the Gentile was supposed to do, to get access. To who? To Israel. Right? They were proselytes. Why would God have to do that again? That doesn't make any sense. We already had that. That was already in place. So that wouldn't even make any sense. Do we have access to the covenants? No. Do we have access to the law? No. Do we have access to New Jerusalem? No. What we have access to that we could not have had access to without the, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Father. When the veil came tearing down, crumbling down, whatever you want, when it was, when it was ripped in two, the access that that only the Jew had or a proselyte of Judaism had came tumbling down. Now there's access for all that come to him. And it wholly happens by one spirit. Because what never did happen in the Old Testament is when somebody came uh, uh, to the religion of Judaism, they never did get the spirit indwelling them. That never happened. Hence the reason why salvation is different. If it isn't, then what are you going to do with that? You know, the Holy Spirit never indwelt anybody. Okay? It may have come upon people, 
but then it would leave. Not so. Not so now. When we get access to the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost moves inside of us. And what does He do? He keeps us. He seals us. He indwells us. He intercedes for us. He baptizes us. He bears fruit in us if we yield to Him. He blesses us. Listen, do you understand in just that little statement alone how much false doctrine is being taught in church? You don't think that, that, they, that, that, the, that, the, that the doctrine of eternal security is not important? If you believe you can lose your salvation, you've changed what biblical salvation is. Well, can I still be saved? Ah. I don't know. I'm not the judge. All I'm going to tell you is it would seem to me, no, I think there's a problem there. I think there's a big one. The indwelling spirit, if, if Old Testament saints were saved by the same, the same way as New Testament saints, well, that's a problem. Did, 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 he indwell the, did, did the spirit indwell people in the Old Testament? I'm going to say, no, it didn't. Show me one place where it did. No, it didn't. You don't think that's important? baptism of the spirit i mean you you know that there's many of a church this morning that teaches that baptism in water saves people you you don't think that's a problem you think think somebody who thinks they need to be baptized in water to be saved isn't an issue can they be saved if they were baptized no because they put their faith in the water not the lord jesus's blood that's a problem and again i'm not the judge all i know is i sure would hate to get to the other side of this thing to find out that they put their faith in that water when they shouldn't have. And that is their reason why they're not saved. I'd rather know that now and get that out on the table now. Let's get right now. At the end of the day, I'm not the judge. Whether the Lord's going to allow that to pass or not, I'm going to lean towards he probably isn't. But isn't it important? Listen, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you're questioning our motives at the pulpit to preaching against what other churches are teaching or what other people believe, may I suggest maybe the problem is you aren't talking to people. Because you start talking to people, you'll start getting it. You'll start going, what the heck? That, that crazy pastor's right. That, that guy's right. I thought he was a nut job. And maybe I am. But beside the point, start talking to people. Start having conversations with people. And watch how much this stuff that I'm bringing up to you over and over and over again comes up. And you want to know what's going to happen? You want to know what's going to happen whether you realize it or not? You're going to be able to answer them. And you're going to go, dang, I didn't even know I could answer that. And can I just tell you, that's not anything you did and that's not anything I did. You know what that is? That's the Word of God and the Holy Ghost working in conjunction. You've heard it. It's been permeated into your soul. You have it now. And whether you know it or not, when the time comes, He'll bring those words to you and you won't even know that you knew. Do you know how many times that's happened to me? I'm like, dang, I didn't even know I knew that. Wow, crazy. I didn't even know that I knew where that was. And I just did. There's one thing you need to learn about the Bible. 
that smack me in the face early on. If you're really paying attention, if you're really paying attention, it really all boils down to probably about maybe seven. We'll use seven because that sounds good. I don't know that I could verify this. Just get with me here. There's probably about seven major principles. Everything falls under those things. And once you realize that God is talking about those same things over and 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 over again, constantly talking about the same things over and over, you just don't realize it because you're, well, I'm reading Kings. Well, let's go read Kings. I bet you I can come up with these seven principles over and over and over again right through Kings. Three chapters, there are those seven principles. The next three chapters, there they are again. There the next three chapters, there they are again. Uh, gosh, Justin probably could, could and, and Jim, uh, uh, Pagan, uh, he's not here this morning because he's got a wedding. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, listen, uh, listen, if you, we, how many times, Justin, have we gone through, going through the New Testament, how many times have we saw a wind built sun? Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. You may have never even seen it before. Once you grab onto that principle of how important it is, then you see it everywhere. It's in every chapter almost, all through it. There is simplicity in the Bible. There is. It really isn't as overarching and confusing and, 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 uh, and whatever that maybe sometimes myself, probably more than Robert, will make it sound. Sometimes we make it sound like it's so confusing, but it's really not. It's really not. Get the main points, and everything else will fall under its umbrella. And you'll start to grab onto it. This is the very premise of Isaiah 28. This is the very point that the prophet Isaiah is making. Precept upon precept. Why? Here a little, there a little. Why? Because you get the precept. You get the precept. The next thing before you know, you're going to look back and go, dang it, I didn't even know I knew that. Man, listen, and I'm not trying to lift anybody up in here or anything like that, man, but I just want to say, uh, I could use a bunch of people in this room, but I'll use Cheyenne for a second. 2015, when I'm, 14, 15? You've been in this church for seven years? Not Well, you weren't even in the church right away. Six years? Where were you six years ago? I'll tell you what, man. I'll tell you what. I take that girl and what she knows above 99% of the pastors that are out there. And you may look at me and go, how dare you? No, not how dare me. I know she knows her book. Why? Because she loved the word of God enough that even though, even though this, this dude right here was making her feel bad about some stuff, she knew it was right and she knew it was important. And she stuck to it. She was here. I don't know that I can remember the last time she missed a Thursday or a Sunday. I don't know that I can remember. She's out there on Saturdays, man. She's at the one links. I, you go to two of them, do you not? No disrespect, but some of you don't even go to one. Hey, man, you want to know how she got where she got? This isn't because of this idiot. I'm not going to say that idiot because he's too cool for, to call him that. He's much better than that. It wasn't because of us. It had nothing to do with us. All that we did is just we were faithful to this. But can't all agree on it, but we can agree on one thing. What does it say? If that's what it says, then the last thing I would say is the Bible means what it says and says what it means. 
What'd you say? Well, you're right about that, brother. You're very right about that. That's where that becomes very important now because that is where we're going to start having differences of opinion is when we start looking at different translations. You're going to see that here if I get to it this morning. <laughs> Listen, the same spirit that appeared in Acts 2. Now get this. The same spirit that appeared in Acts chapter 2 that was working in and through Israel. It's the same spirit. The only difference is he's doing something different now. Why is that so hard to accept? Why is that so much of an issue for people? Why do, the, why do people have to think that, well, Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they'll jump to that, and they'll just assume that everything Christ has ever done has always been the same. Listen, can I just ask you a question? Did Adam and Eve need to be saved in the garden? Hello? Did they? Why? Because until they ate of that fruit, they had no sin on them. Did something different happen? Did God now have to work differently through those people? If you stop and you think about it, so I have me, we talked about this yesterday, right? When you understand that leadership, when you understand that a church functions like a family, when you understand that, you'll understand what, the, what this is really all about. We are a household. Every individual body, building, if you will, uh, uh, assembly, all of you, listen, I am not a priest, and I am not a father, capital F, okay? But, but I do act as a father in the household, Okay, have you ever had a problem with your father? Where you got into an argument with him? What'd you do? What'd you do when you got in an argument with him? Ah, you're a jerk, I'm out of here. And leave and go talk to another father? Now listen, Satan's done a good job on that today, hasn't he? That's exactly what people do in a house. Is that the way it's supposed to be though? No, no. Listen, man, that's, that's so wrong. It's so not the way things are supposed to be. We've got things so backwards. We don't understand the, 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 the household of God and how God wants it to function in a ladder of leadership. There's an order to things. God's not doing it because he thinks some people aren't worthy. Or, that's not God's doing it because he's a God of order. Listen, he ordered the universe exactly the same way why are we not okay with that it's exactly what he's doing and how he does things as leaders we need to understand what our role is in the household of god he is doing something different now if i as the father get this now if i as the father of my household okay i have peyton and i have savannah and I have my wife. Let me ask you a question. Would I do something a little different if I adopted two kids into my, into my household? Well, no, I would. I would. Why? Because, well, I've got to, I can't be doing the same things. They're at a level now of understanding that those two little kids that I just adopted in, that's what I mean. 
I'm going to have to go about things differently. I have two kids that are clueless about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They I have to do things. Is the same premise there? Of course. But I'm going to have to do it differently, right? I can't just keep going and leave those kids behind. What do you think happened the day we got saved? We got adopted into the household of God. We got added to and became one with the Jew. Does God have to do things differently? Yes. Why is that not okay? It makes perfect sense that you would do that in your own household. Hey, listen, man. What if the two little kids that I brought in, man, they don't like pizza? Can I order pizza every Friday night like I normally did? Well, I suppose I could, but I'm going to have to add something else that they like. You see what I'm saying? Differences happen. Changes have to come into play. God just knew that and took care of it. As, of course, a good father would. Why are we so oblivious to that fact? Let me tell you why. Because Satan is good at what he does too. And he keeps us on our opinions, our thoughts. We uh, have to understand that as the Spirit brooded over the waters in Genesis 1-2, as he operated differently with David in the Old Testament, as he caused Peter to speak in, in tongues, what he is doing now is different in the dispensation as it changed. The dispensation has changed. God has to deal differently. We are not speaking in tongues or exercising the gifts given to Israel. The Holy Spirit of Pentecost came to testify of Christ to Israel. Y'all hear that? It's the same thing that the Holy Ghost, is that the same thing that the Holy Ghost is doing today? The answer is no. The Holy Ghost does not need to testify to us that Jesus is the Messiah. Does he? What does that have to do with us? Honestly, seriously. Is he, is he going to be king sitting on the throne of the Gentiles? Huh? What, what does the fact that Jesus is the Messiah have to do with us? I got no problem with calling him the Messiah. I have no issues with that. You can do that. All, just know that, but from a doctrinal standpoint, it doesn't matter. That does not matter to you, Gentiles. Now, what does matter to you? That he's your savior. Do you want, if you, would you rest in the fact that I could be saved if I think Jesus is the Messiah? If I think Jesus is the king, he's going to sit on the throne. Can you be saved by that? Emphatically, no. Nowhere in the New Testament could you ever come to that conclusion. Now, let's revert. How about this? Do you think you emphatically need to know that Jesus is the Savior? Well, y'all think about that one. This isn't that hard, man. It isn't that hard. Listen, if you say you're a Jew and you're not, you are going to rest on the fact of the law. You're going to rest on the fact of the Messiah. You're going to hit those things. They're going to be very important to you. And you don't think that's going to bleed into salvation? Of course it is. All I'm saying is, 
I'm not the judge. All I can tell you is wrong dispensation, wrong people, in my humble opinion, major problem. Major problem. We, and we've said this before, listen now, this is important. We do not rest in our hope and put our faith in uh, 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 what happened at the baptism of John. We do not. We are not looking for what? Huh? We're not looking for remission of sin. That's not our deal. I don't want remission of sin. And if you know anything about what we're saying right now, you don't want it either. Remission of sin means it could come back. I want, Acts 13, forgiveness of sin. How about you? Nobody ever else, nobody got that. You couldn't find that anywhere close to anything in the Old Testament. No, God's doing something different. Verse 19, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Listen, we are no more strangers. No more. We're no more what we were in verses 1 through uh, 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 3. We're not that anymore. If you just look at verse 12 and you skipped verse 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, then I would say, uh, if you read it that way, yeah, then you could come to the conclusion that we are Israel. But the problem is, verse 13 through 18 is in the Bible, <laughs> okay? Uh, and what, what, what's going to happen is, and what we can't miss what is going on during those verses, is it proves otherwise, so if you start changing some of that, well, as Brother Bill already said, what do, what do you, why do you think people are where they're at? Well, could I suggest, as we're going to see here in a moment, it might be because it's worded differently in other Bibles. And that could be a big deal. Remember Ephesians 2.16, all this happened. Now, you remember we talked about this last week. We got to know the difference between by the cross and at the cross because things that happened at the cross are different than things that have gone into effect by the cross and you go what the heck are you talking about dude well listen it's important that you understand that because what happened at the cross is what happens acts through one through seven it isn't until we get to acts 13 that we start seeing a new effect of, of things that went into place by the cross. In other words, some of those things did not go into effect at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You need to understand that because it's 100% true and biblical. It is. Again, what happened at the cross is different than what happened by the cross. It is not uh, uh, by the cross is not for Old Testament saints. Looking forward to the cross, they couldn't. It was an impossibility. To say that you're a Jew is saying that God chose me over other people, as he did with Israel. This is one of the biggest issues that caused their downfall. They thought they had been given things because of position, and Jesus reprimanded them 
for it. And we need to understand that. Elect, non-elect is wrong. Replacement theology at its core is a problem. The biggest issue with Calvinism and replacement theology is that in reality, you cannot believe one without believing the other. You say one without the other. What are you talking about? You can't believe in Calvinism and you can't believe in replacement theology. Really, if you're really going to get to what it's teaching, you have to believe in both. You have to. And those that don't are really confused about what it is that teaching is really trying to bring out. Being Israel is not the important thing. But, but when, you, when you try to teach replacement theology, you're making that the important thing. Being Israel is not the important thing. Access to God and his blessings is what is important. Do you see the difference? It's subtle, yet it changes everything. I don't need to be Israel to have access to his blessings. A lot of people think they need to be to have access to his blessings. Do you see how dangerous that is? You are not, as you're filling the blank, made nigh by the blood of Christ to get all the promises made to Israel. Is that what it said here in these verses? Verses 13 through 18. Did we get all our promises uh, 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 that was promised to us in chapter number one? Let's just go there. Did we get all those things because we were made Israel? No, that's not what it's saying at all. At all. You were. You were made nigh by the blood of Christ to receive the promises given to the body of Christ before the world began, Ephesians 1.4, which is what it's really teaching, to have access to the Father. Do you see how subtly different that is, yet how important that is to understand? If you think you need to be Israel to gain those things, you have now put your faith in the wrong thing. Where is your faith not? Yet they'll say that, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in the blood of Christ. Then why are you putting your faith in Israel? That's wrong. That's a problem. Many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, I never knew you. You put your faith, oh yeah, you believed in my blood, but you also believed you had to be a Jew to get it. That's a, what is if you don't think it's important, I said it last week, if you don't think it's important, then how come not once, but twice? When Jesus is writing to the churches in Revelation 2 and 13, he says, those that say that they are Jews, they are the synagogue of Satan. How about that? Pastor Frank didn't say that. I'm just preaching what Jesus said. If you say you're a Jew and you're not, you are the synagogue of Satan. Now, why do you think he puts such a major emphasis on making it say that? Because he understands the problems that come with it. The biggest one is salvation. 
It's a problem. You're putting your faith and trust in something that you should not be putting your faith and trust in. You are not a Jew. You do not gain access to the Father by becoming a Jew. You gain access to the Father by one thing and one thing alone. End of story. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It is the blood of Christ alone. That's it. That's it. So when you put your faith in something else, you can tag the blood of Christ on that all you want. It doesn't matter. You put your faith in something else. And once you put your faith in something else, anything else, as your pastor, I'm just humbly saying, I think that's a major problem. That's a major deal. You can believe in the blood of Christ all you want. But you can also, as Hebrews said, Hebrews says, you can also, what? Stomp on his blood. How about that? Did you know you could stomp on his blood? Whoa, that, that sounds pretty major. It is. You can step right over the blood of Christ right on down the road with your Israel. Because that's where you, you put your faith in that as well. Y'all get why now I hammer this as hard as I do? You understand now why replacement theology so it's so important to understand. Listen, and like I said, we can we could, we could I could come down down this road now and just start talking to you of the importance uh, of how this all ties into Calvinism, because it does. It just does. Calvinism has a lot of ties to replacement theology, and of course it would. You want to know why? Because you know where Calvinism came from. It didn't come from John Calvin. Y'all understand that, right? Facts are a stubborn thing. Most people don't know the facts. Do you know where Calvinism came from? A guy by the name of Saint Augustine, who the Roman Catholic Church, boy, is he elevated there. Big time. He is the one that, if you read Calvin's, what do they call it? institutes if you read it look at how many times he refers back to saint augustine and i'm just i just agree with saint augustine when he said that. it really we should be calling it augustinianism because that's what it is that's where it came from and do you know what else saint augustine taught that was very prominent in the day he even wrote a book by it about it you remember what else he was very famous for yeah y'all ever ever read the city of god you know what that is Rome has replaced Jerusalem. Gosh, I wonder what that's all about. Rome has replaced Jerusalem. What do you think that might be about? Why do you think Rome went after Jerusalem in the Crusades? This stuff might be important. Maybe. See, we're doomed to fail as we move forward by not knowing what's happened in history. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Satan wants Jerusalem. He wants Jerusalem because it's the city of God. And he knows it. And so what do you think he's effectively, continuously tried to do? Why do you think the whole Muslim nation is trying to get that little piece? You got all of Iraq. You got all of, of, of Iran. You got all of Saudi Arabia. You got Turkey. You got, you got all these places, man. You got Syria. You got all these places, man. Do you know how big Israel is? 
Israel could fit in the state of California 12 times. Why do you want that little piece of land? Who cares? What's that going to do for you, man? Just leave it alone. Who cares? No, they want it, though, boy. They want it so bad. Why? Why? Because Israel was promised to the Jew, and Satan don't like it. I would argue, because that was the general area where the Garden of Eden was, and that very plot of land that Lucifer had his throne on. How about that? And what if that's true? Boy, that just changed everything about what's going on over in the Middle East now, ain't it? And do you think that giving them land is going to bring peace? It ain't going to bring peace until they have all of it, until the Jew is completely wiped out, Psalm 83, which is coming very soon, and they're going to attempt to do with Russia. Ah. How do you know that? Well, I only know that because the Bible says it. It's coming. It's going to happen. Whether you want it to happen or not, it's beside the point. It's going to happen. The point is, we don't need to be Israel to get God's promised blessings. You were given these things by the blood of Christ and your trust in Him. You are no more strangers because you are in His body. He is in you and you in Him. You see, how this thing shakes out is in times past, in times past, Israel was set apart, circumcised in the flesh, kept the law, came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all these things were given to who? Israel. But now, <laughs> how are we set apart? How are we set apart, ladies and gentlemen? And if you add anything to that, anything to that, you have messed up the gospel message. It has now become a false gospel. Y'all got that? Did y'all get that? Do you see why Paul said, if they come preaching another gospel, if they come preaching another gospel, let them be a car. I mean, gosh. He is nailing down something really big. He says, let them be accursed. Well, 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 pastor, what's a false gospel? A false gospel is preaching anything but the blood of Christ. A false gospel is preaching anything but his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Anything but that is a false gospel. If you have to do anything else, if you have to be a part of any, well, you have to be a part of this church to be saved. False gospel. Well, you have to be part of the one true church, the Roman Catholic Church. It's the only one that can save you. False gospel. Well, you have to follow after this man because he is the replacement of Christ here on earth. False gospel. You have to become Israel to be saved. False gospel. You have to get baptized in water to be saved. False gospel. You want me to keep going? Why do you preach on this stuff so hard, Pastor? Because it's the difference between salvation and not. What do you think? Is that important? Is everybody okay with that? That's important, is it not? And I'm telling you, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to get angry at me or not, whatever you want to do, start talking to people, man. Open your mouth. Stop getting mad at me. Start opening your mouth. Get out there and talk to people. Hear what they're saying, and you're going to go, they're adding something to their salvation. It ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't right. It's the blood of Christ. 
the blood of Christ alone to save somebody. And we will step all over it if we add anything to it. It has to be biblical. It has to be right. It has to be 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, according to, it has to be. It can, well, don't you think that these other people could just be saved and they got, you know, they're getting all their doctrine wrong? Oh, let me tell you what, false doctrine leads to false salvation. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Start talking to people. And you'll find out real fast. You know what to look for. What did you just say there? Oh. Hey, do you believe in the blood of Christ that saves you? Listen, every Calvinist on planet Earth will tell you yes. Oh, good, they're saved. Amen. Oh, okay, well, now, let, now let's talk about our other issues. Now start talking about those other issues. And watch how they start adding stuff. See, you never would have got there. You never would have got there because you would have just asked them, do you believe that the blood of Christ saves you? Yeah. And we just stop right there. Okay, and listen, if that's where we just stopped, amen. The problem is they don't. Start talking to them. And you'll find out they're putting their rest do you think that people teach that you need to be baptized in water wouldn't tell you that they need the blood of Christ to get saved? I'm going to tell you right now, they would. I would be willing to bet you every single one of them would. But then they added something. And you never knew they were going to add something because you just assumed salvation. And you know what? If they are saved, hallelujah to you. But if they're not, and that day comes... And we're at the great white throne judgment around the table there watching. And that person sitting there that you had had conversation with that you thought was saved because, you know, they told you the blood of Christ saved them. And they're standing at the great white throne judgment now. And, and the Lord Jesus now says, I never knew you. And they look back at you. All I know is I hope that you don't have to look and peer back in those eyes for all of eternity as they get cast to hell. Why do you preach so hard on this stuff, Pastor? Why are you so? Because the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not is subtle. It's subtle. How could you say that? I could say that because that's exactly what happened to Eve in the garden. It was subtle. It was a change. Did, 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 did Satan completely change everything? No. He just changed a few words. He just twisted a few things. And what happened? We're all dealing with the problem of what happened. That's how big the problem is. Just so you know. Well, you don't think, you don't think that hell isn't going to be something that people are going to have to deal with with a subtle change of words? What you put your faith in matters. It's the engrafted word that saves your soul. Isn't that what James 1.20 says? What, what, what does Romans 10 say? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What you put your faith in matters. It matters more than I think any of us will ever understand. It's going to matter one day. And what if, what if all this stuff, this crazy pastor and that crazy pastor preaches to you on Sunday morning, on Thursday night, what if it's actually right? What if it is? Where then, let me finish up with this, 
where does this then, this idea come from? Can we suggest that it comes from corrupted manuscripts? Just as Satan subtly corrupted the manuscript that God gave to Adam. And by the way, think about this just for a second. The manuscript that God gave to Adam was about 60 words long. How about that? The manuscript that God gave to Adam was probably less than 60 words. How'd Satan do on that one? How'd he do? I mean, he got Eve to fall, and he got the whole world in the predicament that it's in. What do you think is going to happen when we add all these words? You don't think Satan ain't going to mess with them? Really? You don't think so? You think that God's just going to put his stamp of protection on all of it? Where does it say that in the Bible? Where did he say that? No, what he said in the Bible, he'd preserve his word. Every word. And he has preserved every word. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be false manuscripts. Subtly changed things. Subtly changed things. So, so let's look at this real quick and we're done. Ephesians 3, 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise to Christ by the gospel. That is your King James Bible. Now let's read what the NIV says. This mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles are heirs together with members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Listen, that's just enough of a subtle change to make somebody go, oh, see, we are part of Israel. We are heirs together with Israel. Meaning, meaning, we now join in the promises that were given to Israel. So go ahead. And I'm not saying any of you do. If you're listening online, go ahead. Keep reading the NIV. And you know what? You never would have even picked up on that because you would have never even known to pick up on it. You just would have bought into the lie. How about the NLT? And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of the blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Listen, it's subtle enough to make it sound good. The problem is, it's wrong. That is not what Christ did. And if you look at that and you go, well, I mean, he kind of did. It's kind of good enough. No. And we have the rest of the New Testament church epistles to prove just how wrong that is. We don't share. We do not get equal inheritance with Israel. That is not the way this thing went down. If anything, if we were going to really say it, Israel gets equal shares with us. It's really the other way around if we're really going to get down to it. It's not we get to share in what they got they get to share in what we got. Subtle. Very subtle. But yet, very damning. 
because Jesus called it the synagogue of Satan. Knowing which kingdom you're in is vitally important. It's different dispensations. Do not put yourself in Israel's kingdom. Jesus kept them separate. Did he? Did he? Yes, he did. Some of the time? Every time. Why do you think? Why do you think someone who believes in replacement theology or whether they believe? They even, most people don't even know what we're talking about right now. I'm telling you. Hey, do you believe in replacement theology? They look at you like, what? What's that? What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. What do you believe that, 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 that the church replaced Israel? Most people wouldn't even be able to say, well, yeah, I believe that. They don't even know. They don't even know what any of that means. They're just following their church and what their pastor's saying. Blindly. Never going back to the scripture and being a Berean to make sure that what's being taught to them is so. And by the way, you better do the same thing here. Don't blindly follow me and Robert. You better go back to the scripture and make sure that what we're saying is so. And if what we're saying is not, you better confront us and tell us. However, however, do not come with your opinions. You better make sure you're coming with correct doctrine. Listen, man, this stuff is important. Do not put yourself in Israel's kingdom. Jesus kept them separate. Paul kept them separate. Know the kingdom of God and know the kingdom of heaven are not the same thing. They are absolutely 100% not the same thing. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll put my number on it. Go ahead. I'm going to tell you right now, 95% of churches out there believe that they are, and most Christians believe they are too. And if you don't believe me, open your mouth and start talking to people and see what they got to say. Hey, do you think the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is the same thing? Number one, most people aren't even going to know enough to even answer the question. What are you talking about, kingdom of God? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. You want to know why? Because they don't even read their Bibles. They wouldn't know what the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God was if you slapped them in the face with it. Why are you so harsh on people? Because they don't know. What do you want me to tell you, man? I'm telling you facts. Start talking to people. Open your mouth, have conversations, and watch what they say. And it should break your heart. But, but, why are you hammering us so hard on this, Pastor? Why? Because it should motivate you. Yeah. It should motivate you to talk to them and get them right. Because this is, and it very well could be the difference between salvation and not. It very much could be. It very much could be. I'd be willing to bet you. Let's do it. If you don't, let me just help you real quick. Kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom here on earth where Jesus is going to reign on the throne of Israel. Kingdom of God is in you. It's spiritual. Those are two different things. And they mean something completely different. Kingdom of heaven is all about the Messiah. Kingdom of God is all about the Savior. Is that hard? No, it ain't hard at all. Yet, I'm going to tell you right now, most people don't know. Most people don't know. Last fill in the blank and I'm done. The household of Israel, emphatically, no questions asked, 
without any hesitation, with the full authority of God's word behind me, is not the same as the household of God. Go ahead, get your King James Bible out, go home, type in the household of Israel, and type in the household of God, and then you can thank me later. Then you can thank me later. And go, that nut job who always seems like he's angry at everything, that, that the nut job actually might have a point here. And the point, do understand what the point is. In the end, it leads to salvation. Would anybody disagree that's not a big deal? I, I think it is. And you should too. Not only for yourselves, but for the people around you that you know and talk to. You need to know the difference. And you need to know how to detect, detect when something ain't right. Because it could be the difference between I never knew you or I knew you. Anybody learn anything this morning? Okay, good. A couple of you did. That's good to know. All right, Father, we come before you, Lord. We want to thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you do. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Thankful that we have it. Thankful that you have uh, given it to us. Thankful that uh, you thought enough of us uh, to put words on a page. Uh, as I think back in uh, the message of, of Robert on Thursday night, uh, just looking at uh, how much of a speck we are, I wonder how much more that gets diminished when you look at words on a page in a book. How much more of a speck is that? Yet, you put such an emphasis in this universe on words, on a page, in a book. Wow. As I think of creation, and I think of the universe and all that's in it, you've raised this book above your very name. And we put it on a shelf and pretend like it's just a thing that we read when we feel like it. I don't even know if I can comprehend all of that. I don't know if any of us can. All I know is your word is true and let every man be a liar. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the people of this church. I pray that we would be a people that would be the ambassadors we've been called to be. I pray that every single one of us would understand that we have a, a ministry and that ministry is of reconciliation and it's our obligation. It's not just what we should be doing. It is what we must be doing. It's the reason why you left us here. Our obligation, our, 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 our very... Uh, existence has everything to do with bringing you glory. And the only way we can bring you glory is by winning people to Christ, building them up in their faith, and sending them to do the same thing. May that be our heart's desire. May that be what we're about so that you can get that glory so that when we are with you, Lord, you could actually say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because we got saved, not because we came to church, but because... We brought you your glory by bearing fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the church said, amen. amen. Love you all. Have a good day.